Hi, we're doing a segment called Crawling Back to the Light. How does someone come back to God? Uh, back in 2010, after seven years of hosting this show, I sort of came out on air <laughs> and admitted during an interview with Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias that I was no longer convinced there was a God. Mostly because after 30 years of having a, quote, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he says with disdain, a certain disdain in his voice, I realized that this God I was serving wasn't actually all that personal. Uh, so going public as a doubter, not an atheist, just a doubter, and no longer considering myself to be part of the evangelical tribe of certainty, I left. I left organized religion, I left the church, and left it up to God to reveal himself to me through one of those tangible encounters I kept hearing so many in my tribe speak about. So because of some fractured relationships in my life, me being the common denominator, uh, 2017 ended up being the worst year of my life. So I've decided that since my way didn't actually work, it might be time to crawl back to the light. And I've decided to once again do this publicly. Look, as embarrassing as it is to admit personal and spiritual failure, my hope is that others experiencing similar frustrations might learn something from my conversation with a few people uh, who have, have had a profound impact on my life. I'm still not really sure that there's a God, but it seems like my life was better when I thought there was a God. So now what do I do? Today's guest is Greg Boyd. He's an author, a theologian, a preacher, a teacher, apologist, open theist. He's been featured on the front page of the New York Times, the Charlie Rose Show, CNN, National Public Radio, the BBC, numerous other television and radio uh, venues. Greg received his PhD from Princeton's Theological Seminary and his MDiv from uh, Yale Divinity School, a couple of uh, low-income places, yeah, are... and uh, his BA in philosophy from the University of Minnesota. That's such a letdown after... Uh, <laughs> Princeton and Yale and University of Minnesota. He's on the line right now, Greg Boyd. Here's a website you may want to check out, renew.org, renew.org. Uh, two quick questions for you uh, to start off with, Greg. First of all, what's an open theist? Open theist is someone who believes in the reality of possibilities, that the future is not settled, that it can possibly go one way or possibly go another. And, uh, and since God knows all reality exactly as it is, that's what God knows about the future. It could possibly go this way or possibly go that way. That just sounds like an optimist. <laughs> no, it's, it's, just, it's just believing in possibility. To say it's going to go good, a good way, it could go bad. But uh, yeah, God's open to possibilities because He's given us free will. So, how does an open theist uh, differ from a theist? How does an open theist differ from a um, a deist? Well, most uh, the, the traditional view of God has been that that and it's really the traditional view of creation as well that. Uh, all the facts of the future uh, are, are already laid out. God, God knows all the facts of what's going to happen in the future, and He's known that from all eternity. Um, and then some say that those facts are there from all eternity because God willed them, and so those are the Calvinists. But others would say, no, we have free will, but nevertheless, it's been eternally certain that on 2021, May 4th, you're going to buy a green Toyota. Um, and, and, and so God just knows the facts ahead of time. And open theist says, no, God knows you may buy the green Toyota on May 4th, 2000, whatever it was I said, but uh, uh, it, you also may not, because the choice is up to you. And so there's, there's nothing there for God to know other than the possibilities of what you will choose. So you and Calvinists need to do a grudge match one of these days, right? Step in the ring, yeah, well, little it, cage fight. There's a little, uh, a little tension there sometimes. <laughs> the, the real question is, is is you know is the outcome of that uh, wrestling match uh, uh, you know up to our free will or is it predetermined? Yeah. 
I love it. I love it. All right. The next uh, question I have is uh, renew.org, and then we'll start talking about me. Renew.org. What's that? Uh, okay. First thing to say is that it's renew with a K, R-E-K-N-E-W, because uh, we're challenging people to rethink everything they thought they knew. And it's just my website. It's my ministry outside of my church. I pastor Woodland Hills Church, but I also do a lot of outside stuff. And so this is kind of the, the, the website for my uh, ministry outside of Woodland Hills Church. And it, it, you can find on there, you know, I podcast, uh, you know, a couple times a week, and I, I write a couple times a week, and I've got a lot of material and storage and archived, on, you know, for questions that people have and uh, things of that sort. You also find Greg's library there where I have like 3,000 of the best books I've read on various topics, and I rate them and things like that. 3,000 of the best books I've read. Buddy, how did you ever get married? Like, that's... <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 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 it has posed a challenge once in a while. That's ridiculous. Okay, Greg, um, I'm assuming that you're going to go right into, well, there's some things wrong with your presuppositions and your, your the, the, the preliminary... The, you're going to use big Yale-like words on me here. Uh, here. Um, I'll try not to. So... So what I um, what I want to know from you, because look, uh, I leaned into doubt ferociously once my kids reached a certain age where I finally felt that my spiritual journey wasn't going to detrimentally impact theirs. So I cut the long safety rope as I you know I used to walk down that long road of doubt with my backpack of of yeah buts, and I um, I cut the rope. And I and I finally decided I've just got to throw off the yabuts, man, because I yeah. can, I'm yabutting myself right into a really crappy life. Um, mm. So you knew you were coming on today. You knew the the backstory. We emailed you the thing. What what am I am I what am I not getting, man? Well, I don't know. Um, I, I I guess I'd have to ask you. Like well, one of the things I'm wondering about is just wondering. Um, <laughs> You refer to the evangelicals as the tribe of certainty. Yes. Um, and I, I think that's not an inaccurate descriptor, but what would concern me is that it, I wonder if you think faith is about certainty. Like, No, not anymore. A lot, of people, a lot of people think that faith, like your faith is as strong as you are doubt-free. And, and since faith is a virtue, they make it a virtue to never doubt, which means they make it a virtue not to question which makes it, it makes it virtue to be indoctrinated. And so everything you were taught in eighth grade Sunday school class, you know, you've never questioned and never grown on. It gives you a paranoia about learning uh, because you, you, might, you might learn something that will question your faith. And since your salvation hangs on your faith, what could be worth that? And that's how Christians get you know, narrow-minded and intolerant. It's, it, it's, it's because of their misconception of what faith is. But, but faith, the biblical concept of faith, isn't about psychological certainty. Uh, it, it's about a willingness to act and trust in the midst of uncertainty. Uh, and so, so faith and faithfulness go hand in hand. And uh, uh, whereas the psychological model of faith that we have going on today, uh, you know, it, 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 it assumes that your faith is as strong as you are doubt-free, the biblical model of faith assumes that there's going to be doubt. And that's why it's virtuous, is that you're willing to—it's like saying, I do when you get married. You know, you're committing to this. You're not certain you're going to live happily ever after. You hope you will, but— you know, people change, and your spouse may have an aneurysm the next day that totally changes their personality. You're taking a risk, but that's what faith is. Huh. And and uh, um, sometimes people, if, if you think you're supposed to be certain or have this experience that's going to make you certain or all, all of that, um, 
then you're saying the bar too high. And I've met people who <clears throat> who didn't think they could become a Christian because they, they they still had questions. And and my response to them is, you can't wait till you're you're you know you'll never get to the point where you are absolutely certain this is the right person to marry. There's always an element of risk, and that's how it is with faith. Um, I've got more reasons to believe than not to believe, but I, I'm not certain. Uh, you know, I, I, there's moments where I feel certain, but but usually it's just I've chosen to live this way and to think this way yeah. and to believe this way, not irrationally because I've got reasons for it, but uh, uh, knowing that I could be wrong. Okay, you're giving me a headache, man. Hold on a second. Um, I had a I had a, just a fantastic conversation yesterday with Bart Campolo. Uh-huh. And one of the questions I asked him, Bart's the son of Tony Campolo, and Bart, uh, right. you know, grew up in the yeah. Jesus scene, and it was the offspring of one of the big evangelical dudes ever, and uh, and now he's a humanist chaplain. He's an atheist. Yeah. And uh, here's a guy who spent a lot of his life, you know, helping those in the gutters in Calcutta kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had this conversation with him about humanism. Because here's my thinking these days. I've given up on the on the hope that God, that this God I've been leaning into for my entire life is the kind of God that tangibly interacts with people. The problem is I keep hearing about all these, these stories on stage, you know. Ooh, let, let's, bring up, mm-hmm. let's bring up Susie. And she had, a, well, I just felt the Lord, or the Lord did this, or I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? It's like, I just, like speaking a different language. I don't get it. And so I've really given up on this tangible interacting God. And, and, but I, what I'm leaning into is if there is a God, then God interacts with us through people. What is the difference between that theology and humanism? Well, if, if you don't think that God interacts with us personally, and if you think that God only interacts through, through people, uh, then, then uh, um, there really wouldn't be much of a functional difference um, I, I, I imagine you'd just be believing in God. Why, why would you even need God? If that's where uh, I'm going, yeah. yeah well, what's the function of that? Um, I, I, I think that the reason I believe in God, and I'm not a humanist, is that, that I think there's a trans- transcendent reality that created us, and that does interact with us. And, and I, my main reason for thinking that isn't, isn't my own experience, although I have experiences like that, and I'm sorry you didn't, but, uh, but it has to do with Jesus Christ. I think that Jesus is the full revelation of what God's really like. And uh, uh, this is a God who loves us to the point of becoming one of us and giving his life for us on the cross. Uh, so it's not a, a deistic God, an abstract God, or a detached God. This, this is a God who's passionately loving and uh, uh, will, would do and has done everything possible to be in relationship with us. So have you ever had a tangible relational encounter with this God that you serve, you believe in? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it, you know, it, it, here's the thing. It's like, it, 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 I haven't had a kind of experience where where I could say, uh, you know, God appeared in such a way that I could not question it. I, I, I could always question it. I wouldn't base my, my, my conviction on my experience. There are people who do, uh, but I just would have too much in. Uh, it's possible to question religious experiences, even the most powerful ones. Yeah. I, I've had a couple that are powerful. But, you know, I had a powerful experience on mescaline one time that I thought was euphoric. I thought I was, you know, this is before I was a Christian, by the way. Oh, okay. but, uh, thanks for that I, caveat. Yeah. Well, I, I, I dropped three hits of mescaline at this party and, and turned into the Christmas tree. And I, I thought that, that you know, it was euphoric. It, it was, I, I was the yin and the yang, and, 
And, and, you know, we were talking about the Dowdy Ching and, and all sorts of Eastern stuff. And then I became it. But the, and I wrote down everything that I was experiencing because I thought it was so revelatory. The next day I read it and it was a bunch of nonsense. It was just trash. <laughs> and so experiences can be very deceiving. You know, in the moment that seemed really powerful, but I actually was just my brain cells being fried. Um, so I've had great experiences, you know, um, encounters with God. Uh, I, especially, Drew, what I find is that people who have trouble experiencing God, um, what is usually going on there, and I don't know if this is the case with you, but they believe in God, but it just doesn't seem real to them. But it has to do with what's going on in their, in, in their imagination. Uh, everything we feel is, is, is a function of, of what's going on between our ears, imagination, what we're seeing, what we're hearing. And, and uh, uh, folks, like I found, in my, I've been in, in the ministry for 30-some years, and what I found is there's some people who really get into worship, and then some people who are just singing a song. And some people really get into prayer, and there's other people who it just bores the hell out of them. And 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 with, uh, the difference between those two isn't that one is more committed than the other. In some ways, the people who aren't getting anything out of it are more committed for doing it. But the difference is is that those who are get into it, they're they're imagining uh, who they're talking to and who they're singing to and who they're singing about and what they're praying about. And there's things that are like real in their head, and, and it, your brain identifies something as real to the degree that it's concrete. And, and so people who don't have anything going on in their head when they're praying, that, that's why the brain goes to, they have trouble focusing, because you know what's real to them is, is that they need to go grocery shopping, or they're wondering about why Susie said what she said or whatever, but God doesn't seem real to them. Yep. I, I've had cases where you know, I, people who have, got, who have learned how to use their imagination in prayer and worship, where it just comes alive for them. And by the way, I, this is a good time to put in a little infomercial. I wrote a book on this called Seeing is Believing, uh, the Power of Imaginative Prayer, if people are interested in finding out about that. On the line with uh, Greg Boyd. He's an author, he's a theologian, he's a preacher, he's a teacher, he's an apologist, he's an open theist. He's been married for 73 years. He has 16 grandchildren. <laughs> Not quite that long. Man. Uh, and he's got 3,000 books to give away. Um <laughs> You're killing me, Greg. Uh, I, I I've been having this conversation with a lot of people in terms of uh, just just with regards to me sort of crawling back to the light. Mm-hmm. You know, how does someone come back to God? The, yeah, yeah. The, the The conversation inevitably goes towards pretending. All I'm saying is the math indicates to me that my life was better back when I used to believe there was a God than the way my life has gone in the last seven years when I really leaned into my doubts. Okay. So, okay, I've made the, I've looked at the math, I've made a decision, it's time to crawl back, but I don't want to have to fake it, man. I don't want to, I'm an Enneagram 4. Authenticity is everything to me. Everything. I don't want to have to pretend. That's why I ask the questions I ask. That's why I do the show that I do. Um, yeah. But, but I want to know what role pretending has in faith, and then I want to have a discussion about the fact that when it comes to authenticity, uh, again, I had this interesting discussion with Bart Campoli yesterday, uh, you know, authenticity is like this privileged thing, you know, this the people in uh, in, in the, uh, the ghettos in Calcutta uh, don't have the, the privilege to get to worry about authenticity, oh, I got to be as authentic as I can or whatever, no, no, if they have to lie to get food to eat, they will lie. Mm-hmm. So let's start with pretending. 
what role does pretending actually have to do with faith? You know, faking it till you make it kind of stuff. And, right, right, and right, it right. also ties in with what you just said earlier, which is about imagination and and uh, and the, the people that are better, they're more likely tapped into their imagination are really good prayers and worshipers and, and, and Jesus lovers. Right. Well, look, at it, it's, you know, so I'm married 37 years. Um, and and uh, there are times where I, you know, just feel all this love for my wife and all that. There are other times where I don't, and same thing with her. But I, I have made this commitment, and and, um, uh, I, and I have, I'm glad I made this commitment. I understand I, I to grow through this. Um, and so I don't think I'm faking it when I keep on saying I love you and, and keep on acting loving towards her, even though I'm not, like, feeling it in the moment. You've got to zoom out look at the bigger picture. And so, like, I, there's, most of the time I don't feel God. I, I, I try to remain aware of his presence because I believe he's always around me. But... But I keep, I, I'm keep, I keep on acting like there's a God and thinking like there's a God because I've got good reasons for thinking there is a God. So, and sometimes I'll go back and ask the question, you know, why do I believe this stuff? Why do I believe in Jesus? And, and, uh, and are, are there other better options? But I've never found a better option. And so I, I know why I believe, I, I, the philosophical arguments, the historical arguments, and things like that. Hmm. And, and so I'm putting my eggs in this basket and so now I'm going to live this way. That, I don't think that's pretending. That's just called commitment. And, I, I, and it's very rational. I think it's, 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 it's uh, it, we do it all the time on things. Like I said, getting married takes an act of faith. Getting on an airplane takes an act of faith. You don't know for sure that there, you know, there's not a bomb on there or that the pilots aren't drunk, especially if you're flying United. And so, um, <laughs> yes. So, so it, you know, you, you, but, but you've got more reasons to think that if you're going to get to your destination, then, then that's going to crash. Yeah. It's a reasonable act of faith. And so um, to, when I encourage people to use their imagination, I'm not, I'm not asking them to pretend. I'm, I'm asking them to get their minds to line up with what they believe is true. Uh, and hopefully they've got good reasons for believing it is true. And, and, you know, and so throughout the church tradition, the imagination was called the inner sanctum, the inner sanctuary, where we encounter the things of God. And that's where the things of God become real. I wouldn't base my faith on my imagination, but now that I, I've got good reasons for believing this is true, I'm going to try to get my imagination to line up with it. Wow. And that's when I begin to experience the reality of what I'm believing in. See, I used to always kind of poo-poo the, uh, the, the traditions of the, of the um, more you know, the mainstream or Catholic kind of, kind of scene out there with their, their statues and their pictures and their candles and their incense and their, oh, my father plays dominoes better than your father, you know, all the stuff. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And and, uh, and then I went on the Camino and I realized, whoo, that those props actually kind of help me. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I'm, and I'm still not really into it, but I can see how they can how they can help my imagination or my my. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Help my imagination kind of hunker down into the stuff. Just thought I'd go well, off. You know, it, it, that's why we originally started doing stained glass windows and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the Middle Ages, when people couldn't read. Uh, they, they, they would point them to the windows and tell the story about them. All, all those you know, stained glass windows tell a story, a gospel story or some biblical truth. And, and same thing with statues. It was there to help make the, the, the transcendent concrete. And because and, it's only to the degree that it becomes concrete that our brain identifies it as real and it begins to impact our life. I want to read to you the, a comment somebody posted on our Facebook page, because we're asking people to participate if they want to send me a note and give me a little advice or something. I mean, what do I know? I know nothing. 
So, uh, and, and someone wrote this, and I want to get your take on this. Uh, hi, Drew. As someone who has followed with interest your various journeys since high school days, I don't want I don't want to say who this person is because I'm I'm not sure if I'm going to throw them under the bus or not. But can I, can I guess? No, 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 no. All right. uh, and is aware to some degree of the variations of your spiritual propensities. I wonder what that means. I can assure you with personal confidence, it wasn't God who left you. And right away, that ticks me off. You know why? Can you guess why that ticks me off? Greg? Uh, go ahead and... and uh, finish it? Okay, I'll finish it. The, the, the next line is, you left God. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, he has been there all the time, and with the foreknowledge of the turns and twists your journey would take, the reality of your personal rejoining of the spiritual journey back to rediscovering God is welcomed by all of us who have made several, similar discoveries. My, my only... Uh, hold on, let's lost the thing here. My only hope is that you will seek the help of wise and mature guides along the way. Welcome back to the pack. So there was a couple, I'm sure they don't mean it this way. It's just how I'm reading it, right, with my own baggage. That's why texting and messages are all so dangerous. But it's kind of like, you know, it's this is not God's fault, it's yours. Um, I always knew you were going to come back. Welcome back. Yeah, yeah. You, the, the prodigal has returned. Yeah, but I want to. Uh, I want to punch the person in the in, in the esophagus. Uh, no, I just that's that's a little violent. I didn't mean that. What I meant was, I it just gets under my skin. Why does that get under my skin, Greg? Well, I, you know, I'm not your therapist. So I, I'm not your, <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk to your therapist about that one. Okay. Uh, that's, that's above my pay grade. Uh, but but you know, it, 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 it could come across as kind of patronizing. Uh, I'm sure the person means well, but it, yes, it, it does have this do. kind of, uh, uh, oh, finally, Drew, pat on the head. You, you, you got it. You've come to the light. I especially don't get how it's reassuring to know that God's, God foreknew all this was going to happen. Um, so it was kind of destined that, that, that you go through this. Uh, and apparently his foreknowledge outcome, he's not telling us. But, uh, um, yeah, it, 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 it could sound kind of, you know, the thing that... This idea that there's an us-them, that you, you welcome back to the pack, um, I, I think the lines of that pack are pretty fuzzy. You know, one of the things that I think is beautiful about the Bible is that even the heroes suck. <laughs> and they have doubts and struggles. You know, Job said some nasty things about God in the book of Job, and yet the Bible, you know, honors him. And, and Jeremiah and Moses and Jesus on the cross, uh, you know, it, it's faith is not the antithesis of doubt. Uh, I, I don't, uh, there's a continuum there. So you're on the continuum. I'm not sure exactly where on the continuum you are, but uh, you're heading in the right direction, it sounds like to me. And uh, hopefully I am too. Oh. So it's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's okay. the idea that, that you, you're returning to the Holy Club is just not helpful. Yeah, I don't know. I, and by the way, I, now I'm feeling bad about saying all that. I'm glad I didn't say their name because I knew I was going to throw them under the bus. But I, I know it was written in the, you know, good spirit and all that kind of thing. But there's just, do you know what I'm saying, Tim? No, I, you know, it doesn't help when you're struggling, quote unquote, um, with faith, that people start saying, you know, it's your fault anyway. No, and he certainly no, didn't and, say but, that. No, but, but that's, that's implied by it. And, yeah. and whether it's implied or not, that's definitely how you feel. God didn't leave you. So yeah. ultimately, yeah. this is your fault, which doesn't help with the, the whole journey anyways. No, I already know it's my fault. Um, yeah, that's kinda, well, you know, Drew, can I ask you, like you say you're... you're, you're uh, you're you're working your way back, or you're kind of crawling back. Yeah. Um. Well, and and it was the uh, 
the pain of the last seven years that that is doing that. It, it, so is it is it just a pragmatic thing for you? Like uh, my life's not working, so I'm going to try to believe in God, so it will work better. Or is there a, any kind of inner emptiness that's part of the pain that you're feeling? The answer is yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, 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 if I can share this, I had a similar thing. I became a Christian when I was 17, going into my se- or 16, going into my senior year in high school, and uh, um, I. Uh, Wait a minute. What age? What age did you do that uh, weird drug? Mescaline. Yeah, I, I did that at uh, 15. Oh, okay. All right. I, just, I was trying to trap you, but it didn't work. Okay. No, no. It was the last. I, I, I started smoking pot when I was 12, and it went on from there. But I, so I came to Christ when I was 16. And, and for about a year, had a really, you know, uh, blissful time with God. It, it was in this Pentecostal church, and, and they put a premium on experiencing, you know, God and speaking in tongues and stuff like that. And, and that was enough to, like, convince me that this was true, because I had some really good encounters there. But then I went to the University of Minnesota, and it took less than half a semester to destroy my faith. Because uh, you know, this was a fundamentalist church, and, and I saw the evolution is contradictory to the Bible, and if Adam and Eve weren't literal, then the whole Bible was a book of lies, and, and all of that. And so my, I, I lost my faith. And, and for about nine months, I, I lived in this despair. Because uh, I, I was pretty much an, I was a sort of a mystical atheist beforehand. I was searching for some kind of oneness or whatever, but I didn't believe in a personal God. Uh, but but uh, and I was okay. Uh, I had a little bit of emptiness. I think that's why I came to Christ. But now when I went back, trying to lose faith, uh, oh, it, it, it was uh, to live uh, like there's no point to life. There's no overarching purpose. You know, love doesn't conquer evil in the end. You know, uh, in, in the end, it doesn't matter whether your mother treats or Adolf Hitler, you come to the same thing. And, and it just left me so empty. And, and that got me thinking. And this was the beginning of my turning around is this. If, in fact, reality is, is amoral because there's no moral being over it, uh, it's irrational because there's no rational mind over it. And it's purposeless because there's no intentional being over it. If that's the case, and I just, you know, evolved through natural processes, why does it? Why is it so empty to to acknowledge that? Like, huh. why do people long for meaning if there is no meaning? And why are we trying to make sense out of the world if there's no overarching mind? And why do we think our life should have a purpose when there is no purpose, or that good should overcome evil when there's no morality? And, and how can nature evolve some some creature so out of sync with itself? And that got me thinking along these lines, like, you know, we, we have sex drives, and that's because there's a thing called sex. And we get hungry, and that's because there's food, and, and we, we want to breathe because there's a thing called air. But how weird for the universe to evolve beings that have hungers and yearnings that it itself doesn't answer. Hmm. Uh, that There must be an answer to it. If you look at the pattern of nature, there must be... I have these longings because there's there's something calling me. That's like a homing device driving me to something else. And that's when I began to really reconsider uh, believing that there that there's a God that that is something like me. That either I'm totally out of sync in this universe and I'm an irrational product of time and chance, and uh, it's like the Sahara Desert evolving, you know, a, a fish. And the fish flops around in the hot sun, longing for water, but it's never going to get it because there's no water in the desert. That's what human beings are like. If there is, if ultimate reality isn't like us, then we're radically out of place in this universe and can't explain anything. And it, 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 least of all, can't explain the, the the pain of admitting that. And so I came to the conclusion that there must be a being that's something like me, a, 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 a giant version of me, a hyper transcendent version of me. <laughs> and that's why I have the longings that I that that I have. 
And last word on that is that that's when it occurs to me that the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. And I think the reason why we want to make sense out of things is because we're made in the image of a rational God. And the reason why we want good to overcome evil is because we're made in the image of a good God. And the reason we want there to have purpose is because we're created with a purpose by this purposeful God. Now I can explain uh, who I am, and, uh, and I find that that then provides a satisfaction to my soul. What do you think of that? Uh, mic drop by Greg Boyd. <laughs> mic drop, boom. Boom, <laughs> booyah. Bo- <laughs> okay, middle-aged white guys should never say no. booyah, ever. Or wear two rags. Or, yeah, or wear two rags. Sorry. Um, dude. Uh, that's good stuff. This is why this is why I had to have you uh, on this part of the show. Uh, no, listen. Thanks, man. You know you're 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 a great communicator. You've got some smart stuff going on there as well. And um, I just have really appreciated the stuff that comes out of your yap um, in my life. Thanks. So I appreciate that. I would really pay attention to. Not just the pragmatic stuff, you know, the relationships that broke itself, that's, that's bad. And there's pain from that. But the deepest yearning, I think, is, is, is there any point to this thing, you know? And, yeah. and how do we explain, you know, how we're rational and why do we think good's going to overcome evil? When, if you just stick with what science says about the universe, none of that's true. We're going to, the universe is going to die a heat death, and so it will be forever and ever. And there was never any point to anything. And, uh... I think you have a yearning for that because you're made for that. And what I found is, so the pain in itself, the pain sort of led me to reconsider the belief in God, but that then led me back to give Christianity a different look and to not look at a fundamentalist version of it, but just look at, you know, why think that historical Jesus was anything more than just a, you know, a carpenter and, 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 and why I think he rose from the dead. And I, I, I found that there's some really compelling reasons for, for believing that. Yeah. All right. I can't take any more. Um, thanks, man. Like, seriously, thanks. Thank you very, right. very much. And uh, one of these days, I want to interview your wife to see if you're, a, like, a, like, a re, like, a nice guy. Because if, if you're so good at this other stuff, you got to suck somewhere in life. And it's probably as a husband, I think. What do you think? I, I suck plenty of places, but, but I really try hard to be a good husband. I, I, I probably... Like just last week in a sermon, I admitted I suck as a husband. So, oh. <laughs> you know, you can't expose me on that one. No. Nope. Oh. But, uh, but I'm working at it. I'm working at it. Greg uh, Boyd, he's an author, he's a theologian, he's a preacher, he's a teacher, he's an apologist, he's an open theist. You can go to renew.org with a K in the middle of that. Renew.org. And uh, he's written some some really, really brilliant stuff. Uh, his award-winning one, uh, Letters from a Skeptic. The other ones didn't get any awards, but this one is an award. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Letters from a Skeptic. But you've, you've got, yeah, anyway, I'm going to stop saying thanks. Thank you very much, Greg. Well, thanks for having me on. Anytime. All right, dude. Take care. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye-bye.